Welcome to Sci-Fi, the podcast for medical students and aspiring psychiatrists. Recording from inside the closet? No, an actual closet, as the acoustics are better. This is Jason, and I am a core psychiatry trainee at the Oxley's NHS Trust in London. And reluctantly again, I've invited Maoli because he has a neuroscience and mental health degree. <laughs> Thanks. I am a clinical teaching fellow in the East of England. We'll be covering schizophrenia and psychosis in two parts. The first episode will be schizophrenia and psychosis, Schneider's List. Ew, he's such a poo-poo head. Why the hate? I just really, really dislike Schneider, and you'll find out why soon enough. Alright. Today we will cover the clinical picture of schizophrenia and set the scene for the second part, which will focus on assessment and management. Historically, psychotic people were viewed as being possessed by demons or having a split personality. The word schizophrenia is a relatively recent term coined over a hundred years ago. It's derived from the Greek word skizen, to split, and phren, which is mind. So it's a very common misconception that schizophrenia has something to do with split personalities, but that is a bunch of male bovine feces. So coming on to symptoms and key phenomena, starting off with psychosis. I know this seems basic for some of you clever people, but I've once sat through a one-hour lecture on schizophrenia, and somebody puts up their hand at the very end and asks, what is psychosis? Was that asked in a very insightful way? No, no, no. I don't think it was spoken in a who am I, what am I, what is my purpose sort of tone. I think they just didn't know what psychosis meant and sat through an entire hour of a lecture for it. And so I will avoid this pitfall. So what is psychosis? It's when someone loses touch with reality, affecting in essence how they perceive and think. This presents as hallucinations and delusions. It is important to say that psychosis is not a diagnosis, but rather a syndrome in diseases such as schizophrenia. When someone is being delusional, it's a false, unchanging belief that you cannot sway even with all the evidence and the logic in the world. I wonder, what about flat earthers and, you know, the conspiracy theorists preaching how reptile people rule the world and all? Would you, would you call them delusional? No, I, I think they're speaking the truth. Are you, are, do you not believe in reptile people? No. Well, a, a, well, a key part of something being a delusion, right, is that it is out of keeping with cultural, religious, or educational background. So if you were raised by a family who worships a flying spaghetti monster, you're not delusional. You're just a really, really unfortunate pastafarian. <laughs> Although, a delusion can sometimes be true. For example, it may be correct that your wife is cheating on you, but if you found out about it because you saw a monkey peel a banana at the zoo, then it's still a delusion because of the faulty reasoning. Whereas a hallucination is perceiving something that is not really there. A lot of people think that hallucinations are only hearing voices and seeing things, but it also involves other senses. Mm -hmm. I had a patient once who was convinced that people were trying to poison him, and it turns out that he was having hallucinations of taste or gustatory hallucinations, so you've got to keep an open mind. Psychosis also includes thought disorders and negative symptoms, which we will explain a bit later. You know how, as medical students, terms such as illusions and pseudo-hallucinations sort of kept on cropping up? What do, what, how do they sort of differ from hallucinations? So, pseudo-hallucination has two meanings, right? Just because psychiatrists usually can't agree. One being that the perception is experienced in inner subjective space. 
So in personality disorder patients, hearing voices is a very common symptom. However, if you ask them how they hear it, they would more likely say in their head rather than through their ears like a real hallucination. It's also used to mean that patients don't consider these hallucinations to be real and have some insight into what's going on. So those are the two meanings. Illusion is just misinterpreting a real stimulus. It's like how after watching The Conjuring, every shadow I saw at night looked a bit like a person and it made me really, really late for lectures. Wait, lectures? How old were you? Older than I like to admit, okay? <laughs> and lastly, schizophrenia. To keep it simple, you could say it's a relapsing remitting condition characterized by recurrent symptoms of psychosis. Bingo. So with schizophrenia, I break it down into three main symptom categories. Positive symptoms, negative symptoms, and formal thought disorders. Presence of two of these categories with symptoms lasting at least a month is often sufficient for diagnosis. Positive symptoms are so-called because problematic behaviours are added on or gained. These include hallucinations, delusions, and strange behaviours such as agitation, sexual dis uh, disinhibition. You can say super horny, you know. Or eccentric appearances. With negative uh, symptoms uh, are the loss of behaviours, so things are taken away from your character. A good way to remember these are the five A's. Affective blunting, alogia, avolition, anhedonia, and attentiveness. So with affective blunting, you can sort of see it where people have poor eye contact, poker face, monotone speech, where basically it's all sort of blunted, right? Alogia, which basically means no speech, A means lack of, logia, speech. It's a bit misleading, but alogia refers to poor thinking more than poor speech. Poor thinking manifests as changes in language and speech. So you have poverty of speech, where people don't say much, slow responses, and thought block, where your train of thought just suddenly stops. A volition, A, no, volition, will, so no will. So lack of motivation to complete tasks, which can be seen uh, as poor grooming, poor performance at school of work, and low energy. So basically my life story. <laughs> um, and hedonia, and no hedonia pleasure, which means reduced pleasure from usually pleasurable activities. And lastly, you have attentiveness. And so these patients are usually very easily distracted from the conversation or whatever they were doing. With formal thought disorders, am I correct in thinking that they're just a fancy way of saying disorganized thinking rather than the thought content itself? Yes, exactly. How I imagine it is that you load your ideas on a train and the formal thought disorder affects how these thoughts get to the train station or the railroad tracks, right? Some examples would be like derailment or night smooth thinking, where instead of a train, you have like a nice night's chess piece and it sort of jumps around without following the tracks and it never reaches the train destination. This would be seen as people talking about A, then jumping to B without any connection at all between them. Circumstantial speech is the train taking a very, very long detour, lots of winding rail tracks, leading to a lot of details in the story, but eventually getting to the station. In Flight of Ideas, your train is on the tracks, but it just keeps switching destinations to different stations and never arriving. 
And you see that a lot in Mania, where they go, oh yeah, I went to the train station, and I did this, and I, saw, I went to 7-Eleven, and I bought this, but then I also was really, re I really had a stomach ache, and I went to the toilet, and then went this and that, and then they never really answer your question, right? Um, thought blocking is a railroad block, and clang associations are a really cool symptom where they continually rhyme words without making any sense. You know, like shank, spank, thank, <laughs> wank. Uh, yeah. Um, we're not going to put that. <laughs> we will. We will put it in. So just to recap, the main takeaway is that schizophrenia has three main symptoms. First, the positive symptoms. Second, the negative symptoms. And third, the formal thought disorders. We've talked a lot about schizophrenia. I'm surprised you still haven't mentioned Snyder. Ugh. What can I say about Kurt, first rank symptom Schneider? For those medical students who don't know him yet, you will. Schneider is known for his work in understanding and diagnosing schizophrenia. He coined the popular first rank symptoms once used to diagnose schizophrenia. Eh, wrong. These so-called first symptoms aren't useful for anything but human suffering, okay? While 58% of patients diagnosed with acute schizophrenia did, did have one or more first-rank symptoms, these symptoms occur in almost 10% of non-schizophrenic patients, while more than 20% of schizophrenic patients never exhibit even a single first-rank symptom. Fortunately, these have been removed from the ICD-11 and DSM-5, so the new version of the diagnostic uh, psychiatric criteria, with no emphasis on first-rank symptoms, unlike the current version, the ICD-10. So that's a great win for the entire human race. However, it is still likely being taught in a lot of med school curriculums, so sadly, we still need to learn and memorize what has the equivalent significance of a dropped peri-salted chip. Sponsor us, Nando's. <laughs> there, there are four main categories for the first rank symptoms, right? So you have hallucinations, thought interference, delusions, and thought echo, which I remember with the mnemonic HIDE, H-I-D-E. Hallucinations, interference, delusions, echo. So hallucin hallucinations in schizophrenia are classically in the third person. That is to say, it sounds like one or more people are talking about you. For example, as a background running commentary, describing everything that you're doing, or voices arguing about you. Next up, we have thought interference, which would actually fall under the category of delusions, but I find it easier to remember at its own thing. This thought interferences include thought insertion and withdrawal, where thoughts are inserted or taken out from their head respectively, as well as thought broadcasting, where they believe their thoughts are being available to others. Right, and delusions tend to be delusional perceptions, such as the example with the monkey eating a banana uh, and the infidelity from earlier. Or they could be passive experiences. How I like to think of passivity is that uh, it can be sensory, in other words, uh, bodily experiences imposed by outside force, or motor, in other words, the feeling that you're being controlled by an external force. I think sensory and motor passivity are technically called somatic passivity and made impulse feelings and actions respectively. Yeah, I mean, I think 
the one pain in psychiatry is that there's so many terms we have to use and mm. it's just about getting used to them, you know, in documentation. Um, what I find really cool about delusions is that some of them are egocentric, which means it reflects their personalities and beliefs. I had a patient who was a devout churchgoer and during their episode of psychosis, they thought they were a prophet and so preached daily to the patients every day. It was actually really handy to have them around because it calmed the patients so much and there was an occasional group rendition of We Are The World, which is a good way to start your day. Um, on the flip side, there was a patient who felt really racially discriminated uh, just sort of her, in her life in general. And so her main delusion was that there was a secret Nazi coup being carried out by one of the big British companies. And so, and, but I won't say which company. <clears throat> Why not? Fine, it's the BBC, all right? It was the BBC. Um, lastly, we have Thought Echo. This falls under the umbrella of auditory hallucinations. There are two types which involve pronouncing French and German words, which Jason will now pronounce. Uh, I, I guess I will. <clears throat> Apologies in advance as I don't speak the languages and will likely butcher them. Firstly, there's echo de la pensée, or echo of thought, where a person thinks of something and then hears the thought immediately after. In Gedanken laut Worden, which means thoughts become loud, you hear the thoughts simultaneously when you think of them. And so the difference between the two is the timing in which you hear the thoughts. Mm-hmm. Again, we only mentioned the first rank symptoms and the HIDE acronym, as you may still be expected to know this in your med school or from an old person psychiatrist perspective. Another outdated concept that you might see psychiatrists using is the subtype of schizophrenia. These refer to the predominant symptom categories uh, patients uh, may present with. But again, these concepts have been abandoned in the new ICD-11 and DSM-5 because the presentations fluctuate and it's not shown to be especially useful. The two that you may still see in diagnosis are paranoid schizophrenia and catatonic schizophrenia, as some people still refer to in the ICD-10. Paranoid schizophrenia is the commonest subtype of schizophrenia. Very confusingly, it does not require paranoid delusions. It is in fact characterized by prominent delusions and hallucinations, usually auditory. And so most schizophrenia that people present with and, and the typical presentation of schizophrenia that you think of uh, would be coined paranoid schizophrenia. Catatonic schizophrenia should now be known as schizophrenia with psychomotor disturbances. And so let's talk a bit about catatonia. When I hear catatonia, I imagine a person that's completely switched off or shut down. But I remember you telling me that's not the case. Yep. So catatonia just means a state of psychomotor disturbance, which is doctor speak for the flesh is able, but the mind is weak. Now that we're covering the features of catatonia, it's mnemonic time, baby. Oh, brace yourselves, listeners. This is Jason's favorite uh, mnemonic. Through sweet, glorious serendipity, I found the best way to remember this is with the mnemonic semen swap, also known as snowballing. Please don't Google that. The first two letters stand for stupor and excitement. People tend to think of catatonia as stupor where... The person is not moving or not talking and displaying no reactions to the outside world, except maybe 
sort of creepily looking around with their eyes. Basically, Maoli post-KFC binge. No. (laughs) However, some catatonic patients can also present as excited or agitated, unable to sit still, moving around in a hyperactive way. Don't you wonder what goes on in the heads of these patients? Yeah, I think what's sort of neglected and should be focused on more is the rich inner world of these catatonic patients. Speaking to a patient post-episode, they said that during the catatonia, they were convinced that they were in hell and that if they moved or spoke, they would be trapped there forever. So they kept very, very still and didn't say a word the whole time and only let out a sound when we had to jab them because they were refusing oral meds. The M of semen, which is a phrase I never thought I'd say, stands for mannerisms. These are odd, repetitive, but seemingly goal-directed behaviours, such as sweeping your hair to one side or adjusting a tie. Yeah, I know we're jumping a bit past the semen bit, but I just wanted to add that the S in swap stands for stereotypies or stereotypies, which is same, same, but different uh, to mannerisms in the sense that it is non-goal-directed repetitive movements like chewing, rocking, moaning and the like and so the main difference is just mannerisms are goal directed and stereotypies are non-goal directed Hmm. e is for echolalia or echopraxia which is the patient repeating what you say with echolalia or do with echopraxia negativism not to be confused with negative symptoms may be seen during the physical examination for example as you approach the patient they may move away from you Or as you go to lift the patient's head, they resist and continue to do so as you increase your strength. Think of negativism as any resistance to change. Mm -hmm. So now that we're done with semen, (laughs) which stands for stupor, excitability, mannerisms, echolalia slash echopraxia, and negativism, we gotta do the swap. You're really milking this, aren't you? That's what she said! We've, we've talked about stereotypies for the S of swap, so we're going to skip that. And so we now have the W, which is waxy flexibility. It sounds like I'm making this up, but waxy flexibility in patients means that if you move them in weird and uncomfortable positions, they tend to stay that way for a minute or more. Automatic obedience is the A, which is in contrast to negativism. Rather than refusing to do stuff, they become overly cooperative. There's a few German terms to better characterize specific types, such as uh, Mitch Martian and Mitch Gernon, but let's not go there, and you can look it up later if you're curious. Yes, it's actually pronounced Mitmachen, by the way, but it's cool. So it's extra, cool. so extra. <laughs> uh, so the last bit is the P, right? It may not be as important as semen, but it's important to remember the P as well. So last bit, we've talked about semen. Now we got to talk about the P. So P is for posturing, where they assume and maintain strange and uncomfortable postures. Unlike waxy flexibility, they do these movements themselves and stay that way rather than us sort of positioning them. And that's it. So I would say that's almost all of the clinical features that you will see or hear about in psychosis and schizophrenia. It's been a long road, but at least now, when you read clinical notes, you're comfortable with the descriptions and terminology, something I found really daunting to start with. 
Now that we know what the symptoms of schizophrenia are, let's talk about the clinical course of schizophrenia. I find it easy to view schizophrenia as having three distinct stages. The pre-morbid schizophrenia, the acute phase of illness, and then it's the chronic phase. Consider pre-morbid schizophrenia as the prodrome or the early stage of developing schizophrenia. Here, subtle signs may be seen many years earlier, perhaps even as early as childhood, such as suspiciousness, social withdrawal, apathy, uh, which is complete indifference, uh, or even odd behaviour or perceptual abnormalities. You often hear these things from the family in the collateral history about how the patient has been acting weirdly and differently over the preceding years. Things aren't as clear-cut and severe as the positive and negative symptoms we've discussed, but it's definitely brewing. I imagine it's really difficult to identify what's normal or abnormal for a person, because personality and character is so variable between people anyway. Like, could imaginary friends or normal teenage behaviours be similar to pre-morbid schizophrenia? Mm, from what I understand and in general, Pre-morbid schizophrenia can be hard to distinguish from not just normal childhood, but depression and sometimes substance misuse. It would depend on the person in front of you and likely require specialist consideration. I know that's a cheat, but I don't think there's a straightforward answer. If anyone listening has any thoughts, we would like you to we would like to hear from you. Unlike the prodromal stage, acute schizophrenia can develop quickly ranging from a few weeks to a few days. During this time, you start seeing the bizarre behaviours, changes in mood and speech, and something called delusional mood, where you have this feeling that something is wrong in general, but with no real explanation. This is what most people think of when you say the word psychosis. Mostly positive symptoms, they are raving mad, so to speak. Delusional, hallucinating, agitated, and confused. But something not to overlook is the self-neglect, like poor hygiene or unemployment through a decline in interpersonal and social skills. Yeah, it's really sad. They start losing their job, isolating themselves from friends and family, become unable to care for themselves, and it's just a lot of damage control and repairs that you have to do after even a single acute episode. These patients also usually lack insight and require urgent hospitalization usually requiring legal detainment. It sounds really cruel to lock someone up, but the thing with psychosis is they are unlikely to comply with treatment because of their unwellness, and the longer you leave it untreated, the harder it becomes to treat. If they keep having repeated acute episodes, you'll eventually become burnt out, which is something we are trying to avoid, and that's the chronic phase of schizophrenia. I like that burnout analogy. As in the chronic phase, the negative symptoms usually dominate. Yeah, there may still be some residual positive symptoms, but these patients aren't too bothered by the delusions and hallucinations, and in a sense, it's more controlled, right? Their prognosis is worse than in acute schizophrenia, and they might be unable to live independently, socialize, and also have very limited daily activities. In a nutshell, they become completely switched off. If you don't remember all that, that's okay. The key thing to appreciate is that schizophrenia has three distinct stages. Number one, the pre-morbid stage. Number two, the acute phase. And then it's the chronic phase. The pre-morbid is where things get brewing and you would like to ideally intervene to prevent progression. 
The acute is typically full of positive symptoms and self-neglect. The chronic's mostly just negative symptoms with poor prognosis. And that about wraps up the first half of schizophrenia and psychosis. To recap the key points, psychosis is an abnormal condition of the mind characterized by hallucinations and delusions, but also includes other positive and negative symptoms. Schizophrenia is a chronic condition characterized by psychotic episodes with pre-morbid, acute, and chronic stages having different predominant symptoms. The new ICD-11 and DSM-5 diagnostic criteria have eliminated Schneiderian symptoms, whoop whoop, and also the different subtypes. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening. As always, we would love to hear from you. And now, you can reach us in more ways than ever. Yep. Message us on Twitter at PhiPodcast. P-H-I-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Like us on Facebook at Sci-Fi Podcast. Or email us at questions4pp at gmail.com. That's the number four and double letter P's. Well, my 10 listeners in Romania, if you can reach out to me, I really like that. Let us know if you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for upcoming episodes. Our next episode will be on the assessment and management of schizophrenia, and we hope you join us then. Yeah, I mean, that's the real, you know, interesting part. That's a stake. That's the main course. Uh, And so please don't forget to subscribe. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. We hope for the next episode to be out in two weeks. If you don't see any new episodes, just remember that Schneider sucks. Until then, stay safe. And if you still haven't done so already, try Malaysian food. Durian is a good choice. It smells like a fart, but tastes like heaven. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. Thank you.